The scripture that I'm reading from is Ecclesiastes 2.7. And everyone's heard this scripture. We've all heard it quoted. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. I think in my life I've weeped a lot more than I've laughed. <laughs> and I think that's a good thing. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. There's a lot of us in here that we've had to give up a lot of things. And we need to realize that some of those things were in the plan of God. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. That scripture is so incredible to me. It, it just shows everything in your life. There's times for everything in your life. There, how many times have we spoke when we should have been silent? There are so many times when I should have been silent and I spoke what I wanted to speak anyway and it caused a lot of pain and a lot of hurt in other people around me when I should have been silent. And there's a time for war and a time for peace. We as women need to realize we were created for warfare. Just like in the beginning, Eve, when she fell, when she accepted the fruit from the enemy, from that moment on, her destiny was to be at war with the enemy. She would be at war for the rest of her life. And God has planted that inside of us, a warring spirit inside of us as women. But we have confused it. We have been at war with our fellow women around us. We have been at war with our husbands, with our children, with our families. The enemy has turned that warring spirit that is a God-given gift on ourselves. And we war with everyone around us instead of warring with the enemy. I want to thank this church and for everyone who's brought us here. It's an honor to be here. And um, we really just appreciate all the love and affection that you have shown us since we've been here. I want to talk to you about the character of a godly woman and how to weather the seasons that come to your life. Today I want to ask you if you're ready for a change of season. Are you unhappy in the season that you're in today? The season that you're in, has it become painful to you or has it become a comfort zone to you? How many of you are ready to go to a new level, to a new place with God, to a new level of intimacy with Him? but you don't know how to, or you don't know what to do. You have an unsettling in your spirit, and you don't know why. You don't know where to look or where to turn to. You just know that something is about to happen, and you're scared, excited, and everything is being uprooted in your life, and you just know you're ready for a change of seasons. How many of you just stayed the same way for so long that you've become stale, and that your life has become a stench to God? Because... Things that sit out for a long time and not tended to, they become stale and they become a stench to you and you just want to discard them. And many times in my life, I have become stale and comfortable. I like comfort. You know, for many years we felt like at one day, you know, we're going to be on the mission field in Africa or somewhere and, and I keep thinking, oh God, please, 
please help me because I am not a roughing it kind of person. I will do anything you want me to do, but you know, it, it would be hard, but I would do it, and I am willing to do that, but please give me a spirit of obedience. <laughs> so one day, you know, all the things that I've gone through are going to prepare me for that day. <laughs> I believe that there are some of you who have come so comfortable in your season that you don't even realize that the winds are changing. You don't see the signs around you that things are changing, and that's a scary place to be. I've learned too well that God never called us to be comfortable. There are times of peace and refreshing in our lives that were never meant to make us lazy or comfortable. We take for granted the times of peace in our lives. They were given to us to prepare us for the next adventure, for the next challenge, for the next trial, for the next growth spurt in our lives. Children have growing pains when they grow. My son will lay in bed and cry when he's going through a grocery. He will have leg cramps, and I'll have to put warm washcloths on his legs, you know, to soothe the pain. And so many times, that's, that's what's going on with us. The things that we go through are growing pains, and we would not grow without the pains that come our way. If you fall asleep in the sunlight of Jesus, you'll be left behind. You won't realize that he's left you, and what's worse is you won't even, you won't even know it. You won't realize that he's gone ahead of you and you've been left behind. Today, God has pushed me out of my comfort zone, and I'm praying that by the end of the session that you will be out of yours, that you'll be willing to leave your place of comfort and step into a new area, a new place. Like I said before, anyone who knows me very well knows that I am a closed book. There are very few people, and it's not intentional, but there are very few women around me or anyone that I allow to get really close to me. It's hard for me. I can see some women who have just the best of friends. They do everything together. They buy groceries together. They go shopping together. They, they, they cook dinner together. I mean, they're just the best of friends. And at times I envy that. And I think, oh, I would love to have a relationship like that, a friendship with some another woman like that. But then at the same time, I could never do it because I would never open up and share anything intimate about myself with that person to allow that friendship to develop. And so I envy that in other women, and I shouldn't, but I just can't be that way. I'm a very private person. I feel like at times that I have to be in control all the time, that I have to be perfect, that I can't make a mistake. Women are the worst. We think men are so competitive. You know, they are so competitive in sports, and they have, they're always trying to be better than the other person, but we are so much worse than men. Women are the most competitive people who can have the best wardrobe, who can have the best hairdo, who can have the best this, the best that, the best house, the cleanest house, the most organized drawers in your closet, in your, in your cabinets, you know. If you're more organized than the woman next door, I mean, you just feel like you have that edge. You know, you're better. <laughs> and so we are so competitive, but at the same time, men can be competitive, but they can be, it doesn't bother them. They're competitive against themselves. They want to do, do better than they've ever done before, but yet they can be in a basketball game trying to beat someone on the other team, but afterwards they're just the best of pals. Women, on the other hand, 
can get, be in a competition with someone and you just end up scratching each other's eyes out. Never friend. You can be the best of friends when, if you have a bake-off. You can be the best of friends, but if you both enter into that same contest for that same item, you will never be friends again. Even if neither one of you win, you still will never be friends again because we cannot handle thinking that other women are better than us in something. And we can be so mean. <laughs> so we, we just can be so mean to people around us, even the closest people. And I'm guilty of things like that. Sometimes I feel like I have to be so strong and in control that God has to bring me back to the point where I realize I cannot be in control. I cannot be in control of my life. As a child, even, I was taught to be independent, to be in control, to be self-sufficient. My dad had all girls, and he wanted to make us all very strong and self-sufficient. <laughs> and we were made, we were taught that, and which was a good thing, to not have to depend on anyone, to be able to make a living for ourselves, to be able to make, you know, ends meet for ourselves. But at the same time, it made me believe that I had all the answers. I had, I didn't need anyone. I didn't, you know, I can do this on my own. I can handle my emotions myself. And we can't be that way. I have to realize that if I'm in control, then God's not involved. He will not take part in anything where he does not receive the ultimate glory for it. So many times he has stripped my control away so that I have to depend on him. And what I say stripped away, that's exactly what I mean, because I never give it up freely. If I would just learn to give up that control freely, it would make my life so much easier. <laughs> but it has to be stripped away from me. And I've said all that to let you know that I want to be real with you. I want to be transparent with you so you know who I am. So you know where this message is coming from. That it's coming from a heart that has that hides so many things inside. And when you're in the front of people in the ministry, so many times you want the appearance that you have it all together, that you have everything under control, because after all, you are a pastor's wife. You should have everything in line, everything. But there's so many times where we say so many things and we feel like we can't turn to anyone to get help. To begin with, I was not raised in a pastor's home. I was raised in a Christian home, but the home I was in was not in any way involved in ministry in that aspect. Of course, my parents helped at church and missionettes and ushering and stuff like that, but we had no idea what went on really behind the doors of a pastor's home. And so I had, we were very close to the pastor and his family, but of course, the pastor's family never truly let anyone know what really goes on and the struggles that they faced. So I had so many unrealistic ideas about what the ministry was all about. I just thought it was this fairy tale life. You know, I mean, how much more wonderful if you're in the ministry, I mean, you are the closest that you could ever be to God and nothing ever goes wrong with you. <laughs> and so I got a rude awakening real quick and I knew at an early age and I felt that God had called my name at an early age, and I knew that one day I would be in the ministry and that I would be a pastor's wife, and I didn't know how. I didn't know Pat. We never met until we were out of high school and in college, and I never had any idea of how it would take place, but I knew that somehow God was going to use me in that area, and I thought it would be so glamorous and so fun and so exciting 
Well, I don't know about the glamorous part or anything, but it has definitely been exciting and fun and scary and just everything all at once, kind of like a roller coaster, you know, when you have the sick feeling in your stomach, but you're liking it at the same time and everything. I watched pastors' lives growing up, and I thought, how hard could it be? You know, have a few socials, you know, plan a church social, sing in the choir, you know, plan, you know, have people over for dinner a lot, you know, that type of thing, you know, because that's all I saw, you know. And so I thought, how hard can that be? But then I saw pastors' lives who were on the front lines as I got older, and I saw the attacks on their family and on their children and on different things, and I saw how they were would intercede for their church and for the people in their church and for their husbands that God would anoint him, you know, and they were constantly interceding. And it wasn't just about the socials. It wasn't just about all the other things like that. It was, it was something deeper, and that they had something more than what I had thought I had to have. And I thought all of a sudden, I prayed, I said, oh, God, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I can. Before, you know, I was excited, but now I'm scared. And as much as I hated it, I found that my life was going to be anything but comfortable, anything but quiet. And I've always been, until my husband pushed me out when we got married and had me start speaking, I was very quiet. I was very shy. I was very, you know, depend. You know, I was independent, but at the same time, I wasn't outspoken. And um, that God began very early to uproot those things. And at the same time, I found my greatest joy was in those times when things were being uprooted. The greatest times in my life were during those times. And I found out that my view of being a pastor's life was totally wrong. It had nothing to do with the things I thought it had to do with. And I do not fit the mold of what I thought every pastor's life was supposed to be. You were supposed to be able to sing beautifully. You were supposed to be able to play the piano. I mean, that was just a given. If you were a pastor's life, you were born playing the piano. Well, I took a year of piano lessons in the sixth grade and quit because I hated it so bad, <laughs> you know, and now I wish I had kept taking it, but I don't sing in the choir. I I can sing, I think, you know, but not like, you know, I mean, I don't think everybody wants to hear it, you know, <laughs> so, but um, I don't play the piano, but God has in place some other things in my life that I feel that I needed to do the job that he's called me to do. He's given me a compassion. He's given me a heart for hurting people and for lost people. And I think sometimes that we get so caught up in the talents and the gifts that God's given us that we forget the compassion and everything and what really is important. I realized that he called me to be more than what I appeared to be. He called me to go farther, to be stretched farther than I ever realized I could be stretched and to live the purest life I could ever imagine to live before the people around me. And even though I saw, he called me not to stay down, but to get up and to show them that there is a way up. There's a hand waiting there to take me by the hand to pull me up. Because whether I want it to or not, whether I enjoy it or not, whether I realize it or not, my life is going to impact thousands of young women across this nation in the job that we do right now, in the job that we've done since we've been married. We've been youth pastors ever since we've been married. And whether at times I felt like it or not, my life was impacting young women and other women around me. And it was up to me whether that was a good thing or a bad thing.
up to me what kind of impact that was making. And just like you, no matter where you are in life, no matter where you are stationed, where God has put you, whether you like it or not, whether you want to accept it or not, you are going to impact people around you. And it's up to you whether it's a good impact or a bad impact. It doesn't matter if you say, well, I'm not going to. I'm going to say to myself, I'm not going to make a difference in anyone's life. Well, you're going to whether you accept it or not. You're either going to destroy lives or you're going to speak life into people's lives. The same call is on every single one of you. Being a pastor's life is no different than anyone else. You're just in a different area. But every woman has the same call in their life. Are you willing to give everything if God requires more than what you think you could ever give? Are you willing to be stretched? Are you willing to go through the pain and the hurt? The first season that I would like to talk about is summer. And when I think of summer, I don't like winter in the regular seasons that we go through. It's cold. It's wet. I don't like to be cold and wet. I don't like to have to bundle up all the time and wear lots of clothes and jackets and have to keep track of all those gloves that get lost all the time and everything. And so, and the little, you know, the little bonnet things you put on your kids. And I don't care. I can buy 10 pairs of gloves and I can only find one of each one of those in my child's drawer. I don't know what he does with them. I don't know where he puts them, but there's never a set in his drawer. And so I don't like winter. I love summer. I love the summer seasons. I love the hot weather, spring and summer. I love it. I just thrive on those times. If it wasn't for allergies, I would pray that summer would last all year long. But I couldn't live on Claritin that long. So, um, But summertime, in the spiritual sense, to me, is the scariest place you could ever be. And this may not be how everyone's heard it spoke of, and everything, but summertime to me is the most dangerous place that we could ever be because we get comfortable in summer. Summer, it represents that comfort. It re represents that resting time. And Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep and slumber and folding of your hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a bandit. Summer is a time to re prepare, but so many of us don't do that during summertime. I know during the summer seasons of my life, I rest and I forget that this is a time I'm supposed to be preparing. This time I'm supposed to be storing up courage, storing up the Word of God in my life, storing up that peace, storing up refreshing in my in my storehouse, you know, that God has given me in my heart. He's prepared. He wants me during those times of rest and refreshing when everything is going good to be for planning for battle, to planning out my strategies on how to attack the enemy when he comes into my camp. And so many times we don't do that. We take, oh, things are going good. All the bills are paid. All the kids are healthy. You know, we're all everything's going good at work. You know, everything, the house is clean. You know, I can just sit back and rest. And that's not what it's called to be. It's called to be a time of preparation for us. We've been youth pastors ever since we've been married. And two years ago, a little over two years ago, God took me out of my summer and threw me right into winter. <laughs> I mean, there was no preparation whatsoever. I mean, he's just like, okay, it's winter time for you. And um, 
we were at a church at Decatur at Calvary Assembly of God, and our youth group was exploding. I mean, kids were getting saved. They were going out into ministry. We were so excited. I mean, we had never seen such an outpouring of God's power in a youth group. And, I mean, the kids were doing it. They were just shaking that city for God, and it was wonderful. We were building a house, our dream house. We'd never owned a home. We'd always rented or lived in parsonages, and I always wanted my own home. I just thought, I'm tired of living in somebody else's house, and and renting and throwing our money away. I went to own a home, so we were building a house. We got a dog. So, I mean, that's like the American family. You have a house, you have a dog, you have a kid, you know. And so, um, and I just, you know, we finally got a dog. You know, Nate had begged and begged, and so we finally did it. I thought, you know, we're staying here for a while. We'll go ahead and do it. Nate was in kindergarten. He had started his first year of school. We had established, you know, a circle of friends. I had finally got to that place where I allowed people to come into my life and be friends. We had been at this church for three years. And, you know, I, even though I was close to the youth, that's different than having a friend that's your age and everything. You know, it's easier to me. I can be surrounded by young girls and just thrive in that because I love pouring into their lives and everything. But at the same time, you don't always share your most intimate things with them, so it's easy. You always have that wall there. We had established that friends with friends around us. Things had become very easy. We were planning on staying in Decatur for a long time because it was just wonderful. We had been at churches before where it had been such a struggle, such you know, and couldn't get that breakthrough. And it had been, it had come at this church. And I thought, why well, walk away from a good thing? This is great. We got a good salary, building a house. You know, we got all this stuff. This was great. This was what I had always wanted. You know. Because in our ministry, we had traveled with having state tell planes. Well, I mean, there's no stability there. You're in a different state every week, you know. <laughs> and it was fun, but at the same time, you long for that familiarity, that stability. And we had been in Indiana, and we had been in Florida, youth pastoring. And it wasn't any bad reasons that we had moved. It was just God had always took us to revive a group. And when they were revived, we moved on to another group. And revived. that's just a calling God had placed on our lives. And so I was okay with that. But this time, I felt good where I was, and I just wanted to stay. I was tired. I was tired of the movie. I was tired of staying, and I just thought, okay, this is it. This is where God's going to keep us. And so, of course, when I had come to that place in my life, God began to uproot some things. And he had different plans, and he moved me right into autumn. So I guess I did go through some autumn. And God done such incredible things in our ministry that there wasn't a whole lot of challenge there for us. He had done so much that you start thinking it's you. You start thinking that you're the one that's making this happen. Hey, you know, I must be super spiritual. I mean, God is doing all these incredible things in our ministry. And, you know, we've arrived, you know. We have gotten to this place and, you know, God's going to let us, God's going to let us just see this thing through. And our ministry there was so incredible, but like I said, it wasn't a real big challenge. And you start relying on yourself rather than your faith. And you start doing it on your own. And there's a lot of Christians dying in the sunlight of revival. So many of us cry out for revival, but when it comes, we forget what it's all about. We forget that revival is to see a nation, see a world changed for God not just to keep it our church and to, I mean, we were reaching out and doing outreach, but we enjoyed where we were. And um, 
so God began to do something in Pat and I. We began to be unhappy with where we were, was unhappy with everything around us, no matter how great it was. There was just something missing. There was just something not there. And I thought it. I was like, no, it's great. You know, it's great. And, but God didn't want me to feel that way. And um, everything we experienced just wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. We weren't seeing everything we wanted to see. And um, God showed Pat that we would be moving soon, that he had something that he wanted us to do, that he wanted us to go on the road full time. Well, he didn't tell me that because he knew how much I wanted this house we were building. <laughs> it was not finished yet. <laughs> and so he didn't tell me that. He, he prayed. He said, God, you're going to have to show her because all the other times she's been the one who's come and said, God's moving us. And she hasn't come to me. <laughs> and so um, I know that you're moving us, but please show her. And so God showed me that we would be leaving. He showed me that we would be leaving in September. And he had only done that one other time, and that was when we were in Indianapolis. He showed me that we would leave in September. And, of course, that time, you know, I was excited. I was ready for the new challenge. I was ready. So I ran right to Pat and said, you know, Pat, I think God's going to move us, and we're going to be starting something new and everything. But this time, I kept it to myself. I thought, <laughs> if I don't say anything, then maybe God will let it pass. You know? but, so I didn't say anything. And Pat kept praying and kept praying. And finally, he comes to me, and he's like, Karen, has God showed you anything? Has God, you know, I think we need to talk. And I said, yes, but don't say anything. Don't tell me. Just let it happen. You know, so it was two weeks before we were to move into our house. And I was excited. We were finally going to own our own home. It was just two weeks before we were to sign the papers on our house. And I thought, just two weeks. If we get in there, it'll be, you know, everything will be fine. But God brought back to my memory something that happened two and a half months prior to that day. And I was walking through the house two and a half months prior to that. We had not been approved yet. We had been building this house all along. The builder had secured it for us, but we had not, our loan had not been approved. And so I was decided to go out to the site where the house was being built, and it had just been framed. And I walked through, and I was praying, and I was weeping, and I was like, God, I want this house so bad. I want you to give me this house so bad. And I cried out, and I made the biggest mistake that I could have ever made, and I said, God, if you will give me this house, I will give it back to you. I will give it back to you for whatever purpose that you want. I'll house everybody. You know, I'll just give it up. You know, I don't care. Just let me have this house. And so he had prepared me two and a half months for the decision that we would be making right there at that moment. And I said, oh, God. Don't don't bring this back to me. You know, I, I was joking. Okay, I take it back. <laughs> and he he kept me to my word. And so I struggled with my flesh, and I had become so comfortable that he had to send the shaking to push me to a new level. And he brought back to me how I used to be so willing, so ready, so willing to do new things, so willing to do new exciting things for him. All I could think about was that I had to start all over again. But I had to start fresh all over again. I had finally settled down. I didn't want to pull Nate out of kindergarten. You know, I didn't want to do all that stuff. But Isaiah 54.10 says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed from you. Some of you are going through some things right now, and your life is being shaken upside down, and you don't understand and you think that God has forsaken you. You think everyone around you has forsaken you. But that is so untrue. This scripture tells us, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, he will not remove his love and his peace from you. It doesn't matter what you go through. I don't care what I go through. 
If I can keep peace in my heart, I'm willing to do it. If God will give me peace, I will walk through anything he has for me to walk through. And when he showed me that scripture, I thought, okay, God, I'm going to do it, but don't remove your covenant of peace from my life. Some of you are in this season, and God has given you a wake-up call. He's saying, I'm giving you a chance to change. I'm giving you a chance to get out of your familiarity. You're out of your comfort zone. Revelation 3 says, wake up, strengthen that which remains before it dies. And he wanted to strengthen all those things that I had let weaken in my life. And he says, wake up, strengthen that which remains. Don't let it die, Karen. Get your passion back. Get your vision back. God is calling you to wake up this morning. Just like when you physically wake up, you, first thing I do when I wake up, I don't do anything. I just get in the shower. I just go straight to the shower. I think I cannot function. I mean, Pat told last night that I'm a morning person. I am. That's because I go straight to the shower, and I get in the shower. And after I've had my shower, I am great. I can sing. I can do whatever, you know, and face the challenge of waking him and Nate up. <laughs> so, but just like when we physically wake up and jump in the shower, spiritually, we need to wake up and shower under his presence and wash some of the things out of our life every day. Otherwise, they start building up and caking up on our life. We need to see, leave some things behind that have grown. we've grown to love more than we love him. There's so many things in my life sometimes that I've learned to love more than I love God. I've learned to love the blessings at times more than I love the one who gives the blessings. And God has to remind me of where it came from. He is a jealous God. He will not allow anything to captivate your heart but him. He wants to captivate your thought life, your, your everything about you. He wants to captivate your sight, your ears, your mouth, to where everything is following after him. I believe that there are women here who have allowed other things to captivate your life. I know I have in the past. I've allowed so many things, my, my own desires, my own wants. The house that we gave up. <laughs> we moved in, we did move into that house and we got that house that we sold it six months later. So I was able to live there just long enough to get it ready for the real owner. So <laughs> but for some of you who are single, it's a man who's captivated your thought life. Maybe not a man that's in your life, but the desire to have a man in your life has captivated your life. And I know before I got married I had allowed that to captivate me and I wanted to get married. And it wasn't until I gave up that desire and said, I'm not dating, I'm not doing nothing, God. You are my maker. You are my companion. And it wasn't, wasn't until that that he brought Pat into my life when I was in a place where I wasn't looking and I didn't want anybody. It was then that he brought someone into my life. For some of you, it's jealousy has captivated your life. You're jealous of other women around you. There's so many times that I have been jealous of other women in ministry, other women who have things, who do things, who have more giftings, more talents than I have, and, and God has had to strip those things out of me. And sometimes it's been painful. It's been through humiliation or anything like that. And some of you have allowed insecurity or anger or bitterness or fear of failure. More of us are defeated by our own fear of failure than any other thing in our life. There are so many things. I would never have gotten up to speak for the first time and my own ability, because I was so afraid of fear, that failure. And I, to be honest, the first time I ever spoke to a group of women or a group of girls was 
we were doing a conference, and Pat put my name on the brochure, told him to put my name on the brochure to do the morning session, and he did not tell me. <laughs> so, and he knew he couldn't tell me or I would back out, but God had shown him that he has something bigger for me. And he had shown me that too, but like I said, I am very stubborn, and if I would give in, it would save me a lot of heartache. And so he came to me and said, God showed me that he's got a word for you to give at this conference. He said, I know you would never do it willingly. He said, please, you know, forgive me, but it's better to ask forgiveness later than to ask permission. <laughs> so he put my name on there and told me a week before I was to speak. So, <laughs> And God moved, and, and I praise God that I have a husband that hears from God. But I have struggled with that fear of failure for years. I don't like to try new things. I don't. If I try it, I don't want anybody around when I try it. <laughs> and some of you are afraid to try something new because you're afraid of failing. You're afraid to try a new attitude or a new lifestyle, a new just to try anything new. Pray that you'll fail at it. But God wants you to try something new. Cathedral of the Cross was the first church, one of the first churches that Pat preached at while. We, when we went on the road, we were still in Indicator in the house that we were had up for sale, and um, he was traveling, and Cathedral was one of the first churches he went to, and Pastor gave a prophecy while he was there that we would be bridge builders for the nation. And and I thought, okay, God, I'm ready. I'll be a bridge builder to the nation, but can I do it right here? <laughs> can I just do it here in this house? And, and God didn't go along with that. So at the same time, North Carolina District had asked us to become the youth directors for the state of North Carolina. And I thought, yes, that would be wonderful. <laughs> instead of going on the road full time, instead of traveling, that would be it. God, Pat, this must be God. And he's like, Karen, you know, are you speaking out of the flesh or out of the spirit? And he says, it does sound great. It's what we had, we had really always thought that that was something that maybe we, God would have us do to be over a whole state for youth, to train them up to be warriors for God. Satan will always bring something in your path to detour you, to distract you. He will replace comfort for comfort. That would have been a comfortable position for us. We would have still had a house. We'd be stationed there. You know, we'd, you know, it would have been easy for us because it was what we were used to. It was the type of thing that we were used to doing. And road life just required so much, you know. <laughs> we couldn't get a peace about going to North Carolina as bad as I wanted it. I prayed for peace for it. <laughs> I prayed for, God, please let this be your will. And he would not give us peace. And um, when we made the decision, we were supposed to fly out to meet with the superintendent of North Carolina to interview with him. And the morning we were to fly out, Pat and I woke up almost in tears, both of us, and we looked at each other and said, we can't go. This is not what God wants for us. He has called us to a nation. He has called us to go to a nation. And when we made that decision, peace flooded our room. It just flooded us, and we just began to weep, and we called the superintendent apologized, and he understood, and we were like, we just can't come. We had to eat the cost of the tickets, you know, and we're just like, I don't care. You know, we just have to be obedient to God. I would rather live uncomfortable than in disobedience, you know. And so Isaiah 57 says to set your face like flint because the enemy is going to send distractions. You have to put blinders on when you're following God. I pray every day for my son, for my husband, for myself. God, put 
Holy Spirit blinders on my eyes. Do not let me turn to the left or to the right, but let me see what's ahead of me. Let me see what's in front of me, not the things behind me, not the things to the side of me that are rolling around me, but let me see what's in front of me and see clearly that which that you have placed in my path. And Satan tried to replace comfort for comfort in our life. That afternoon, we received a call from the Pastor Carell at Cathedral of the Cross, and it wasn't until we were obedient that God showed us the plan. He wanted us to be obedient before he showed us. He showed us that Cathedral, Pastor had asked us to come and base our ministries there in Birmingham, that he wanted to give us a home church, that he wanted to give us a family that we could feel comfortable in when Pat was away traveling, and he wanted to give us an office and everything we needed there. And it was such an answer to prayer because we didn't know what we were going to do about all those things because we couldn't stay at Calvary because the kids were so attached to us that it wouldn't be fair for the new youth pastors if we hung around. You know, and so we had to make a change. We had to let them bond to their new youth pastor. And so we knew we had to move. And so that was an answer to prayer. And obedience is better than sacrifice. You know, we had to sell our house before we could move. And so that was a challenge, and God allowed it to sell right away or in a couple of months. But during those months, I left my autumn. You know, autumn, I didn't share earlier, is a time where things are dying. Things are falling off. In autumn, in the fall, leaves begin to fall off the trees. They change colors. Everything around you changes. It becomes a totally different scenery in the fall. And at the same time, even though it's death, things are dying. It is the most beautiful sight that you would ever see in your life. Things were dying in my life, and it hurt. Things were falling off of me, but it was the most beautiful experience. It was the most beautiful feeling because I was knowing that I was in the will of God. And even though I thought it, I knew that it was the will of God. But during these few months between resigning and actually moving to Birmingham, Pat was traveling. He was on the road. It was official. We were on the road. I entered into my winter experience. John 10.22 says, Then came the Feast of Dedication. I had to determine how dedicated I was, how committed I was, how determined was I to follow God. It was definitely winter in my life. (laughs) During this time, I had to determine how real I was, as strange as it may be, I love those winter experiences. And I have been through more winters than summer. Somehow my my calendar in my life is very off balance <laughs> because I have stayed in winter a lot longer than I should have at times. And there have been things that have happened in my life that, and I don't know, some of you may have heard Pat share in some of the messages about a cult group that tried to kidnap our son when we were in Indianapolis. and because we had started so many prayer groups in that city with the youth that they had targeted our family and wanted to sacrifice our son to prove that Satan was stronger than what we were doing in the um, church. And so that was definitely a winter time for me because I was not Mrs. Grace during that time. I would have killed anyone who had tried to harm my child. And so I had to pray and I was like, God, okay, I am saved. You are greater. He that is greater, he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. And, you know, I, you know, so I had to really go through that winter experience and we grew through that. Through that, God showed me just how faithful he is to us and that he is greater. And I was in a winter experience again because while Pat was out evangelizing the world, I was at home washing clothes and 
doing laundry and all alone and taking care of my child and, and doing the dishes and everything, God began to expose my weaknesses while at the same time clothing me with his love all at the same time. Some of you in here right now, you have things in your life that are being exposed, that are being brought out into the open, that are being just cast out in front of everyone around you, and it's embarrassing or it's, you feel just naked before everyone with the problems of your life. But if you realize, God will strip you of all those things so that your clothing will become him, so that your covering will become him again. And that's what he was doing to me. He was exposing all my weaknesses so that he could clothe me, so that I would turn to him for covering. I have always depended on Pat to make any major decisions. Even though I grew up being self-sufficient, when I married Pat, I allowed him to be that leader in our home. And it's a good thing that I, I let him make all decisions. And I let him, not that he forcefully made them all, I just trusted him, I, you know, that he would make the right decisions. So I depended on him a lot to handle major decisions, disasters, anything. I don't like confrontation, and I thrive on organization. I am a organizational freak, and I am a clean freak. I am everything, you know, I, I just cannot stand clutter. I can't stand anything. So I am very organized, and, and I have become dependent on Pat for everything. During this time, I found that I could no longer rely on my place of ministry to make me feel productive. Because all our marriage, we had been in youth ministry, and I was always the youth pastor's wife. It had become a title to me. Everyone knew I was the youth pastor's wife, and sometimes we rely on our place of ministry as our salvation. And so many times you throw yourself into ministry and doing every little work in the church that you forget the purpose of what you're doing and your place of ministry is not your salvation and so I didn't know where I fit in anymore I mean after all we were at this church I wasn't the youth pastor's wife anymore there was a new youth, wife, youth pastor's wife coming in and so I had to back off and let her bond with these girls and I didn't know where I fit in I was like God have you removed me from ministry altogether what what are you doing here what is going on in my life and I was at home working, you know, taking care of the house, and Nate and Pat was off evangelizing. I was jealous. I felt left out, somehow disconnected. I felt isolated, separated from friends. And I know there are so many of you in here who have felt that way at times. You feel isolated, like there's no one else going through what you're going through. No one could possibly understand what you're going through. I was having to be mom, dad, disciplinarian, Everything office worker, I was handling our office. I wasn't having to make, I was having to make all the decisions then because Pat was gone. When he's gone for a week at a time and something happens, you know, you can't call him up and say, Can you run home? You know, something's gone. <laughs> the toilet's overflowed. You know, what, can you come home and fix it? Um, I didn't like it. I didn't like being in charge. And part of me was jealous of Pat because he was out on the front lines and I was home. And I wasn't do. I felt like I wasn't doing anything. Several nights I would stay up real late at night, and I couldn't sleep. And I would just, I was lonely and discouraged. I was wallowing in self pity. Is what I was doing. I was just thinking, God, why have you took us to this place? And Pat would call, and I would tell him how hard it was, you know, to be home and handling everything. And I just didn't think I could handle it, you know. 
And he would try to comfort me, but it was hard for him, too. He was away. He was having to sleep in a hotel, a different hotel, every night. And he was having to be away from his son's basketball games, his son's soccer games, and having to miss certain uh, field trips and certain um, events that would take plays and productions at school that Nate was in. So it was hard for him, too. So we would just end up getting each other discouraged, you know, and end up just wallowing together. And one Sunday afternoon, I decided to stay home because we had been out on a trip and we had got home. Pat had to go back out and I had to get everything unpacked. So I stayed home one night. And Lisa Bevere, and I don't know if any of you know who John Bevere is, um, he's a well-known evangelist and just incredible man of God. And his wife is an incredible woman of God. And I could not imagine why she was calling my house. <laughs> and um, Pat knows John Bevere real well. And so... But I had never met them or talked with them. And she called and she said that God had laid me on her heart, that we were starting a new endeavor, and that she had some words from the Lord for me. And I thought, oh, she's going to give me a quick fix, how to make this all better, how to enjoy this, how to do this. But instead, she gave me words of encouragement through chastisement and <laughs> teachings. And, so, and I left that conversation more encouraged than I would have ever imagined and she taught me a lot in just a matter of 10 or 15 minutes. She told me to read 1 Samuel 30 about David at Ziklag and about how he went into the battle of Ziklag to take back everything the enemy had stolen from him and his family. He had took his wives, their children, everything, the spoils of their camp. They had took everything. and But he left some men behind to watch over the camp and to protect it while they were gone. And they went into the battle, and they brought everything back. They brought all the spoils, all the, everything that had been robbed from them back. But everyone partook of the spoils. Everyone enjoyed the spoils of the victory. Even though those men had stayed back, they still enjoyed the spoils of the victory. And she showed me that I was to stay and protect the home and the family and make intercession for our family to be that stability there in that family, our purity, to protect the purity of our family, to protect the integrity, the character of God in our family, to protect our child, which was the greatest challenge of all, to be his mother, to encourage him that his father loved him and wanted to be there, to make our home a sanctuary, a place of refuge, an oasis, that when my husband came home from his journeys, that he would find a place of refuge and refreshing there at home. The whole time I felt like I wasn't in the bad, I wasn't in the fight. But the whole time I was in the fight, I was just on a different battlefield. We were both on the front lines. We were just fighting in different places. And so she also told me that Satan was blinding me into thinking that I had been deserted so that I would make Pat feel guilty for leaving. He was using me as a ploy to destroy my husband. And I would make Pat feel guilty, and so his heart would be divided, and he wouldn't be effective where he was, where God had him. And I needed to stop whining. And so she had four children. Her husband traveled a whole lot more than Pat did at that time to other countries and everything before we had really gotten out there. And she was having to do all the same things I was doing. And she shared some of the struggles that she had went through when they first went on the road, but how God brought her through, and that I had to stand up and accept the call that God had on my life, and he would sustain me in those times. I couldn't rely on Pat anymore. I had to pursue God's presence on my own. Some of you are waiting for that perfect man or that perfect friend or that perfect job to make you feel effective, to make you feel productive, to make you feel complete. 
but that's not going to make you feel complete. Nothing in your life will make you feel complete except for God. My relationship with my husband is wonderful. I have the most godly, most wonderful husband that any woman could ever imagine. And we have a wonderful relationship, but he's not my completeness. I mean, he is in the physical, but he's not my significance. What makes me significant, he's not. If something happened to him, it would kill me, but I would not lay down and die because he's not my source of life. He is everything to me that I could imagine, but God is everything I can't imagine. Everything that I can't imagine being everything. And I love him and my son so much, more than anything in this entire world. But I love God so much more. And I could never truly love them without loving God more. And so he had to show me that, that for so long, I had placed Pat as God. And that wasn't necessarily a bad thing because he represented that and and everything, but I had placed everything, all hope, all everything in Pat. And that wasn't what he wanted. He wanted to be my everything. He wanted me to truly have a relationship with him, to have my own specific relationship with him. And I couldn't rely on that anymore. I wanted He wanted to take me deeper because there was more that he wanted to use me for. And he couldn't do it at the level that I was at. Pat had already shared this with me earlier, but sometimes we just need God to shake us and tell us. My winter was becoming warmth to me during this time as I realized what God was doing in my life, as I realized where he was taking me. He had become warmth to me in a cold and barren area in my life. He wanted me to realize that I was a warrior of the last days, that he wanted to use me to train up young women to go out and be mighty warriors, mighty princesses, you know, his chosen daughters of this nation. And I wasn't stepping up to the call. I was thinking about myself being selfish. And so many times it's easy when we think about all the trials that we go through to think only of ourselves that what we're going through is about you. It's about you and your hard times. And God has shown me, I have been through some things like with the cult thing and with everything, some things I will share in just a moment, that it would be easy to think this is about me. This is about me. I am having it so hard. But God has shown me that things that I go through are to prepare me for young girls that are going to come up, that they need an answer. And if I make it through the test, I'll have the answer for them. I cried out in Psalms 51:12, Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Lord, don't let me ever become so stubborn that I'm not willing to do what you want me to do. I want to always pass the test. I went into my prayer closet and I cried out. And literally, I went into the closet. <laughs> I, Pat was gone on a trip. Nate was at school. And I, it just hit me. All this just came flooding in what this was all about what it was and so I just went in and I thought I've got to get somewhere just where I'm closed in with God I went into my closet and I just got on my knees and I cried out God forgive me God forgive me from the attitude that I've had I accepted the challenge that morning and I said God I want to be tried and tested I want to be put through the fire but just like Job I want to be found faithful you know Job went through so many things. He lost everything. He lost everything that was comfortable to him. But you know what? Think about it. Satan roamed the earth seeing who he could destroy, and he destroyed so many people. And he went to God and he said, there is not one who would remain faithful to you. 
And God said, did you consider my servant Job? I mean, imagine being Job. Sometimes I feel like that. So the enemy's looking all over the place for someone that will stay faithful to God and can't find anybody. And God says, hey, have you thought about Karen? <laughs> and I'm like, God, <laughs> you know, please, no, not me. Send him to somebody else this time. <laughs> and, but God had so much trust in Job that he would pass the test. He believed in Job so much. He loved Job so much and he saw Job's heart that he knew he would pass the test. So many times what you're going through, you think, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? Why have you turned me over to the enemy, Lord? And he's saying, because I know you're going to pass this test. And you're going to come out stronger with more faith, with more courage, with more endurance, with more, with more everything you need when you come through this. You're going to pass it. I know you can because I know your heart. And I want God to trust me enough to know that I can pass the test. I want him to know that no matter what he allows the enemy to do to me or to come my way, and it's hard for us to believe that God would do that, but he does because we don't learn unless we face trial. We don't learn unless there's a test. That's why you get tests in school. Kids don't learn unless they're challenged to put the information they've heard to work in their life. Proverbs 31 says, When it snows, she has no fear for her household. For all of them are clothed in scarlet. God will cover us in his blanket of love when we go through the struggles, when we go through the coldness in our life. He will be our covering. We are not to have fear when things come our way, when the blizzards of life come through our life. We are not to fear because if we are following after him, he is our blanket of covering. No longer do you just want to survive. You want to trample the enemy and destroy him and win the battle. I don't want to survive. I don't want to be the only survivor in a war. And you've lost the war, and you're surviving with the awful feeling that you lost that war. I don't want to just survive. I want to be victorious. I want to march with all the other survivors of the victory in my life. And God showed me in Isaiah 54, 5 during this time. One day I was just reading, and I came across the scripture. It says, and it was a day when I was just feeling so lonely. Pat was on one of the only two-week straight trips that he had been on, and he had been gone. Nate had had a real bad ear infection, had to be rushed to the emergency room. His ear was bleeding and everything, and I was all alone. And um, God showed me the scripture. He says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. And when he showed me that, I thought, God, you are. You are my husband. You are everything to me. And he is your husband today. He is every one of your husbands. And you think sometimes, God, I'm so alone. I'm so all by myself. I don't have anyone just to fall into their arms when things are going rough, when things are going hard. And he's saying this morning, he's saying to you, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. And he also showed me that he is a father to the fatherless. That when we're at home alone and Nate doesn't have his dad there, he's not going to let Nate be without a father. He is the father. He is the instructor. He is the disciplinarian. He is the one. And you would be amazed. My child has so much knowledge of God. And I pray for that, that he would have wisdom beyond his years. And he has so much knowledge of God. And it's not things that we've necessarily taught him. I believe that God himself has taught Nate some of the things that he might have missed out with us being gone sometimes. Hebrews 10.36 says, You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. I want the promises of God, and I will not get them unless I persevere through the fire. 
and I will walk through whatever it takes to receive the promises that he has placed in my heart. I had always loved God with my whole heart, always, from the time I was a little child, and I stayed pure. I stayed, kept myself for, you know, my husband. I had done those things, but I had nothing of my own to stand on now. I had been, I had loved God with all my heart, but the, for the first time, I wasn't in control. I wasn't in control of my life, and so I had nothing to stand on. He had to become my passion, my excitement, my love that my heart ached for. Some of you want a husband so bad, <laughs> and you want, or you just want someone in your life to make you feel good, and you just want that so bad, but God's saying, I want to be your passion. You don't realize, when you get married, and some of you do, you've been married or, you know, whatever, and when you get married, you have a lot more responsibility. You can't just think about, oh, well, I'm going to spend the whole morning in my prayer time and seeking God. No, you got to get up, you got to get your kids to school, you got to make sure your, clothes, your husband's clothes are clean, you got to do all those things. You're thinking of other people constantly, but sometimes we forget our personal prayer time with God. But being single, I can remember... That was never a problem. I could stop whatever I was doing, no matter when, and I could just say, okay, God, let's spend some time together. And so you need to take advantage of this time that you have now because it will prepare you for when someone does come in your life, you will have established a deep relationship with God that will help you through when you become having to always be thinking of someone else again. You need to establish that now. Don't wait till you're in that relationship because then it'll never happen. Establish it now. I began to fall in love all over with him like never before to become intimate with him because I didn't have my husband there with me to be intimate in relationship, you know, talking and sharing all the things I'd always shared with him. I had to become intimate with God all over again. I finally allowed him to totally captivate my life. And I prayed, I said, God, let me become a sweet-smelling aroma to you. Let my life present an aroma to you that is a sweet-smelling savor. Springtime had finally come to my heart. I had finally realized who I was in God. The Song of Songs in chapter 2 says, Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows. My lover spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. And that is how my spirit felt at that moment. He is my lover of my soul. He wants to be the lover of your soul. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, he wants to be that lover gazing through the lattice. You know, people are afraid to talk about those scriptures, you know, in the Song of Songs, but that is a love story of God and us of a, his bride. It is not dirty. It's not filthy. It is his love and expression. He is showing us how much he loves us. We are his lover and he is ours. And he wants to wrap us in his love and cover us. He is our redeemer. There comes a time in your life where you have to stay, where you've stayed the same for so long that you search and thirst for something more or you just wither up and die. The roots have to go in search of water or you're going to die. What is inside you? Do you have what it takes inside to seek out the water that God has for you? Or are you just going to lay down and die, just wither up? I wasn't going to die. I'm a fighter. I was not going to give in to the lies of the enemy that I had been 
released from ministry, that I had been set free from that calling. He had something deeper. He wanted my roots to go deeper so that I could soar above and see what was around me. Sometimes God has to push you into your winter in order to bring you out hungrier and thirstier than before you went in. Sometimes we go into deserts and it's so barren and it's so dry and cracked and it's so empty and we think, I've been left here to die. But Jesus went into the desert and came out more with more of the Spirit of God. That is what our desert times are for. That is what our winter is for. That time where everything around you seems barren. Everything around you seems dead. But he brought you in to that place so that you would have to feed on him. That you would have to drink of his water. Eat of his bread. He wants you to realize that he is your source of life. Not your circumstances. Not your relationships. Not your place of ministry. Not anything around you. He is that source. And recently I had another experience that had to bring me to that place again. I don't know if some of you may know, probably not. We don't share it a whole lot, but for going on six years, we have tried and tried and tried to have another child. And with Nate, it was so easy. It was just like I thought about being pregnant and boom. You know, it was like, it was just so quick. You know, I thought, wow, <laughs> this was easy. And so um, we had Nate, and a couple of years after he was born, he was like two and a half, I guess. I thought, okay, I'm not going to start trying to have another baby until I know I want it because it's going to happen just like boom. And so I don't want to do this until I know I'm ready to handle another baby. So I came to that place and I said, okay, God, I want another child. And we started trying to have another baby and nothing. And a year went by, nothing. Two years went by, nothing. And I thought, you know, something's not right here. So I made an appointment with the doctor and I went in. They did some tests and couldn't find anything wrong. They ran every kind of test in the book, found out I do have, you know, a certain tumor and everything, but it's nothing major. And, um, but it wasn't causing any problems. And so they put me on uh, medicine. It's called Clomid. It's not fertility. I refuse to take fertility drugs, but it just made me produce the eggs, you know, so that I could have a baby. Well, I was on it for several months and nothing. It just made me psychotic. You know, <laughs> my family couldn't stand to be around me. You know, it just made me go through menopause basically is what it made me do. It um, set my body in this menopausal state and I would have hot flashes and I feel for any woman who's going through menopause because <laughs> I have experienced hot flashes earlier than I should in life. <laughs> and um, Pat and Nate would come home, I'd be folding clothes, and I'd just like strip everything off, and I'm sitting there folding clothes, and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I am hot. Just get away from me. So I was just psychotic, so I just came off of it. I thought, I can't handle this. So we tried and tried and tried to have a baby and couldn't have one. And so finally in December of this past year, I gave in to a surgery that the doctor had wanted me to have for a long time, and it was a laparoscopy. You know, they go into the belly button, and that just terrified me. And um, so I had surgery, and they found that several things wrong that they would not have been able to tell if um, they had not done the surgery, that um, I had endometriosis, and there... One of my tubes was just like floating out in Neverland, you know, it wasn't where it was supposed to be and it could never have <laughs> gotten anything where it was supposed to be. And um, so they corrected all those things and put me back on the Clomid because they wanted to give me every chance to have another baby. Well, 
before I had the surgery, I had just come to a place where I said, God, you know, I don't know why you won't let me have another baby. I don't know why. And I just, am I a bad mother? Am I, am I doing something? Ever? All these women in the Bible who were barren usually did something wrong. And, you know, I thought, what have I done? And, you know, either God opened their wounds and let them have a child or he closed them because they have done something bad. Well, I knew mine at one time was open, you know, because I had an eight. So I thought, okay, have you closed it? <laughs> and so I prayed and I said, God, you know, I'm, for, I'm not a type of person to let things get me down. I, even when I was going through all those things that's going on the road, nobody on the outside knew it. That's what I was saying earlier. I'm so close and so private. I'm just a real laid-back, easygoing type of person. And so this had, for five years, just did not get to me. I thought, you know, just keep trying. It's no big deal. You know, we'll just find out if there's anything wrong. But it had finally come to the place where I just couldn't stand it any longer. I didn't know why God had allowed me not to be able to have another baby. And so I had become depressed, and I had told Pat, I was like, Pat, I don't know what to do. I don't know why God is not. He's like, Karen, God has not done this to you. You know, you have got to realize that in his timing, in his way, in his, and he wants one just as bad and everything. And I finally, I came to the place where it was just a chore just to go into the office because everybody's like, you pregnant yet? You know, and I just like... No, you know, I'm not. And so finally, you know, I just, I took Nate to school one day and I thought, I've had it. God, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've believed and I've believed. And I just, I'm sick of it. I can't do it anymore. I just wanted to cry. I could cry just at the drop of the hat over this, you know. And I was on my way home and I just, a song came into my heart from a long time ago and it was, um, you are more precious than diamonds, more costly than gold, or you're more precious than silver, more costly than gold, more beautiful than diamonds. Nothing I desire compares to you. And I started singing that, and when I got to that part, nothing I desire compares to you. The radio wasn't on. I mean, I had been discouraged for months because of this. And no one knew. I didn't want anybody to know because I, I never wanted to be one of those women who let something control their life to the point of discouragement. And I'd never done that before. I'd always made it through everything that I had faced. And and at this time, I knew I had lost it. I had lost the battle. I had given in to discouragement. And I drove home, and I started singing that song, and God said, nothing you can desire compares to me. Not your desire to have your husband home all the time. We've walked through that. Not your desire to have him home for Nate, not your desire for material things. We've walked through that because your home is not your refuge. I'm your refuge. I could give my house up now. It's actually for sale now. We just built it uh, eight months ago. And <laughs> so we're doing the same thing over. And um, not to leave the road just because God told us to sell it. And um, so I sat in the car and he said, nothing you desire here, not for material things. He said, you've made it through all that. But is your personal desire more important than me? Nothing is more important than me. And I just began to weep. And I don't know how I got home. <laughs> I don't know because I worshipped and I cried and I worshipped all the way home. And I said, no, God, it's not. It's not more important than you. You are more important. I have become so engulfed in my own desire to have a child that I have forgotten the vision you're birthing in us. For what there is a 
child he's birthing in us through our ministry that is so much more important than my desire for an earthly, another earthly child. And I sat there, and then before I knew it, I was in the garage, and I was sitting in the car, and I was just weeping. And um, all of a sudden, I, Pat laughed when I told myself, but it was just so strange. It was like the presence of God entered that vehicle with me like I had never experienced in my life and covered me like I had spoke about before. You know, he had covered me, and I knew it was true, but he let me experience that, and he washed over me and just filled me with joy and filled me with peace. And immediately, the only thing I knew to do was I remembered Abraham took his shoes off. He was on holy ground. I just kicked my shoes off, and I sat there in the car, and I was afraid to move. I was like, I don't want to leave this. This is the most peaceful place I've ever been in my life in the presence of God. And I got out. I didn't put my shoes back on, so I got out of the car. (laughs) And so I got out of the car, and I called Pat. And I said, Pat, you just won't believe this. I said, I have got a breakthrough. I said, I am not discouraged over this anymore. I said, I still want a child. I still want another child, and he does too. Pat does too. I said, but I am not going to get discouraged anymore. I'm not going to let this control me. This is just another thing the enemy has placed in my path because I know if he's attacking me this strong to the point harder than he's ever attacked me in my life, can you imagine what is waiting for us on the other side of this trial? And I said, God, please, again, again in my life, find me faithful. Find me true. Trust me. You're putting me through this. You're allowing me to go through this. And ever since then, you know, right after that I had the surgery, well, we still haven't gotten pregnant, still haven't had a baby. They don't know why. You know, I'm, you know, going through all these tests again. And But it's different this time. It's like I know God is going to answer that prayer because he has given us so many confirmations and prophecies that we will have another child. And even if we have to adopt, I don't care, you know. God's going to answer that prayer, but I'm looking at it from a different standpoint this time. I'm sitting back going, what, God, what is it that you're wanting me to see through this? What is it that you're wanting me to see, to learn through this? What or How are you going to use this for me to minister to other women? How are you going to use this so that I can speak life to other women? And he showed me once again, Karen, everything you're going through is not about you. It's not about you. It's about someone that's out there that is waiting for someone to come speak life to them because of what you walked through and you survived and you have made it. And so I promised him no matter what I did, no matter whether I got pregnant or we got a child, I would stand upon the very thing that tried to discourage me and I would stand and I would lift it up as a testimony to him that he is my source of life. He is everything to me. And I made it through that and I'm still, you know... It's just I look at it in a totally different way now, and I know God is so faithful. But there are some of you here who you've wanted to give up. You've wanted to give in to that despair, that discouragement. And maybe some of the things I've went through have seemed so trivial compared to what you're going through. And you think, God, I'm at that point. I'm ready to lay down and die. I'm in the winter. I'm not clothed. I'm naked before you. I just want to die. Just let me die. Let me die on the vine right here. And he's saying, no, I've got this warm blanket of love that I am placing over you. And do you wonder why you haven't died yet? It's because I've not allowed you to. Why do you think you're here this morning? He's brought you here as part of his blanket of covering this weekend. And he's saying, I'm clothing you. 
I'm giving you bread to eat. I'm giving you water to drink. But it's up to you. You have to take it. You have to take it in and accept it. And he wants to cover you today and walk you through. I'm not saying life's going to be easy because it's not. It never is. He never promised us it would be. He never promised life would be easy. If life was easy, why would we need him? Why would we depend on him? If everything, if we could handle everything in our own strength, why would we ever turn to him and turn our affections to him? We wouldn't. I know if I could do everything on my own, I live such a fast-paced, moving-all-the-time lifestyle, I wouldn't take time to go to him. But we're not to always go to him with our problems and everything. There's so many times I'm going through things, and I think, God, you already know it. I'm not going to bother you with those things. You are in control. You see the need. I'm just going to praise you because you're worthy, because you are in control, because you are God. He wants your affections. He wants to be the lover of your soul. He wants to be the your every desire. You know, some of us are afraid to speak that way about God, but he wants us to run with passion and fervency and affection for him like we would another a, a, a man or like we would to our husband run to him with our arms open wide willing to give everything of ourselves no matter if anything's given back in return he wants to be everything to you to captivate your thought life so that you're not always thinking about negative things i don't want to be a negative person i want to always speak life like i said before my life is impacting people whether i want it to or not are they seeing the life of God flowing out of me, or are they seeing stench and sewage flowing out of my life? Do they want to be around me because the joy they see in my life, or are they avoiding me because I'm a negative person? And so I don't want people to avoid me. I want them to be drawn to me because of my love of God. And I know there are some of you here who want that change. You want the seasons to change in your life right now, and you want it to be today. And God is here waiting to change the season in your life and bring you back to summer so that you can prepare for the next adventure, for the next challenge, for the next trial. And if you're going through something this morning, I'm going to open these altars and I'm going to ask you just to come to the altars right now and just get on your face before God. And you know what? It should be every one of us. It's me. You know, I face things daily. I daily wake up in the morning and say, Restore unto me a pure heart. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and this a willing heart to sustain me. Restore unto me a pure mind and the garbage I've allowed to come into my mind and the things I've seen on TV or the things that I've seen around me or the angerness that I've allowed to come in or the frustration over not being able to get things done. Always trying to do everything and not taking time for him. God, restore purity into my life because every day the enemy chips away at it. And he wants to destroy you. But I'm going to ask that right now, that all of us come up to this altar. If you're going through something, I want you to come up to this altar and I want you to raise your hand. And then the leaders in the, this room, I don't know, do we have leaders that have come? to? I'm not sure. But if you are going through something, I want you to raise your hand. And if there's no one to come and pray for you, I will come and pray with you this morning. And so if you will, if you'll just come to the altar... And get on your faces before God and seek Him out to be the lover of your soul, to be your comfort, to be your everything this morning. No matter what season you're in, He will take you to a place of warmth and refreshing this morning. Out of me.
Let me see what's in front of me, not the things behind me, not the things to the side of me that are rolling around me, but let me see what's in front of me and see clearly that which that you have placed in my path. And Satan tried to replace comfort for comfort in our life. That afternoon, we received a call from the Pastor Carell at Cathedral of the Cross, and it wasn't until we were obedient that God showed us the plan. He wanted us to be obedient before he showed us. He showed us that Cathedral pastor had asked us to come and base our ministries there in Birmingham, that he wanted to give us a home church, that he wanted to give us a family that we could feel comfortable in when Pat was away traveling, and he wanted to give us an office and everything we needed there. And it was such an answer to prayer because we didn't know what we were going to do about all those things because we couldn't stay at Calvary because the kids were so attached to us that it wouldn't be fair for the new youth pastors if we hung around. You know, and so we had to make a change. We had to let them bond to their new youth pastor. And so we knew we had to move. And so that was an answer to prayer. And obedience is better than sacrifice. You know, we had to sell our house before we could move. And so that was a challenge. And God allowed it to sell right away or in a couple of months. But during those months, I left my autumn. You know, autumn, I didn't share earlier, is a time where things are dying. Things are falling off. In autumn, in the fall, leaves begin to fall off the trees. They change colors. Everything around you changes. It becomes a totally different scenery in the fall. And at the same time, even though it's death, things are dying. It is the most beautiful sight that you would ever see in your life. Things were dying in my life, and it hurt. Things were falling off of me. But it was the most beautiful experience. It was the most beautiful feeling because I was knowing that I was in the will of God. And even though I fought it, I knew that it was the will of God. But during these few months between resigning and actually moving to Birmingham, Pat was traveling. He was on the road. It was official. We were on the road. I entered into my winter experience. John 10:22 says, Then came the Feast of Dedication. I had to determine how dedicated I was, how committed I was, how determined was I to follow God. It was definitely winter in my life. <laughs> During this time, I had to determine how real I was. As strange as it may be, I love those winter experiences. And I have been through more winters than summer. Somehow my, my calendar in my life is very off balance <laughs> because I have stayed in winter a lot longer than I should have at times. And there have been things that have happened in my life that, and I don't know, some of you may have heard Pat share in some of the messages about a cult group that tried to kidnap our son when we were in Indianapolis and because we had started so many prayer groups in that city with the youth that they had targeted our family and wanted to sacrifice our son to prove that Satan was stronger than what we were doing in the um, church. And so that was definitely a winter time for me because I was not Mrs. Grace during that time. I would have killed anyone who <laughs> had tried to harm my child. And so I had to pray, and I was like, God, okay, I am saved. You are greater. He that is greater, he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. And, you know, I, you know, so I had to really go through that winter experience, and we grew through that. Through that, God showed me just how faithful he is to us and that he is greater. And I was in a winter experience again because while Pat was out evangelizing the world, I was at home washing clothes and doing laundry and all alone and taking care of my child and, and doing the dishes and everything. God began to expose my weaknesses 
while at the same time clothing me with his love all at the same time. Some of you in here right now, you have things in your life that are being exposed, that are being brought out into the open, that are being just cast out in front of everyone around you, and it's embarrassing or it's you feel just naked before everyone with the problems of your life. But if you realize, God will strip you of all those things so that your clothing will become him, so that your covering will become him again. And that's what he was doing to me. He was exposing all my weaknesses so that he could clothe me, so that I would turn to him for covering.